all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. So we just enjoyed the mid-series role last episode, and I hope everyone had fun. I know I really enjoyed spending some time reading the questions and emails and getting to know you and your thoughts of the show. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I hope you did too. And to top it off, as you can hear, my voice is getting way better. I feel way better, so hopefully you can hear me now. I can't believe that something as simple as indigestion could cause me to lose my voice. That's just crazy. The human body is such a weird thing. Now if we were able to use the force, we could use it to, you know, fix the problem or at least know about them. But that's another thing for a whole nother chapter. Real quick, I want to say congratulations to everyone that won the giveaway last week. If you are one of those people that won, all you have to do is email us at sway.audio at gmail.com so we can get your information and get your winnings sent out to you. So what else did I wanted to talk about? Oh, I hope everyone had a chance to watch The Mandalorian. If you have, drop me an email telling me what you think. I am curious to hear everyone's thoughts. But enough about all that stuff. I think that we should get to the next chapter. A lot of exciting things are still to come in this book so let's get to it pride is a dangerous indulgence temple master law me staff cash 10,670 tya so your arrival they spend 14 more days in staff cash and sometimes dale is taken away and taught on his own this worries lannery she wants to remain close to keep an eye on him and when they are apart she can't seem to reach him she tries but he is blocking her out. Only the weak-minded are always open to a Jedi's sensings, and Dale is far from weak-minded. He has had years to learn how to exclude his sister's gentle probings. Master Kinade continues to teach Lannery and the others, but on those occasions when Dale is taken, it is the Temple Master Tave who takes him. In the evenings when Dale chooses to return to their room, Lannery asks him where he goes and what he does. Weapon training, Dale says. They see my talents as a warrior, and Tave is giving me one-on-one attention. But she sees that even Dale does not believe that. When the group is being instructed on force use of weapons, they are keeping him apart. Maybe they're afraid that he will let loose with a blaster and hurt someone again. Even worse, perhaps they believe he did that on purpose. On their final day there, Masters Kinaid and Tave welcome them into the Grand Hall. This is a structure built deep in the mountain, and it has become something of a legendary place among journeyers over the centuries. It is said that Temple Master Vordana fought and killed 13 sand assassins in the hall more than 200 years before. And sometimes when the wind is right, lonely grains of sand still whistle and hush against the ancient stone. Now the hall is cool and still, illuminated by an array of burning brands and expectantly silent. The journeyers stand along one wall as instructed, and Tave and Kinnade are together, whispering and waiting for something. What is this? Lannery wonders. She glances sidelong at the Cathar twins, and they look back and smile. There is a special bond between the two of them that is deeper than the Force, and they trouble her. She looks in the other direction at Dale. He is relaxed and calm, glancing around the hall at the tapestries and the array of old weaponry hanging on hooks and resting in display cases around its perimeter. He catches her eye and grins. Master Kinnade, she says, but the Zabrak holds up one hand, fingers splayed. Someone is coming. Lannery can sense it and she feels an approach in the flow of the Force. Moments later, a shadow appears in a doorway across the hall. Temple Master Lamy enters, walking confidently toward the students. The two masters bow slightly, and then Lamy pauses and examines the journeyers. He spends some time looking them up and down, and when he reaches Lannery, 
she can feel the strength of his regard. Sometimes love is not enough, Lamy told her. But today there is no special message. He moves on to Dale, and then after a glance at Masters Tave and Kinaid, says one word. Fight. The two masters maintain ultimate control. When a force punch is thrown with a little too much vigor, Master Tave reaches out and absorbs some of the impact. When a series of overenthusiastic force shoves thuds along the floor toward the Wookiee, Master Kinate snatches them from the air and dispels them with little more than a grunt. Lannery avoids fighting with her brother for as long as she can. But soon, she finds herself standing side by side with Dale, and as they swap glances, she sees how much he's enjoying this. No sides here, Dale says. He leaps toward Lannery in a clumsy yet strong Alchaka move, and what happens next plays on her mind for a long time afterward. She lets him strike her down. She tumbles, sliding across the stone floor and bruising her back, hips, elbows. She uses the force to prevent herself slamming into a wall. Then she stands, and Dale is already charging at her again. She ducks beneath Dale's kick, slides past him as he spins and lashes out with his fist, trips him, stomps on his ankle, then drops a stride in with one fist raised, ready to hammer down on his face. I need no force to bring you down, brother, she says, smiling. She's trying to lighten the mood, appealing to their close bond, but his eyes are filled with anger. He punches Lannery in the temple, and she falls to the side, shocked more than pained. A kick to her ribs, another punch to her stomach. She rolls away from him, but he is always there, and then she thinks, why shouldn't I use the force? Am I holding back simply because of his sensibilities? She punches out hard, and a great thud reverberates around the hall. Dale is powered back away from her, arms and legs splayed as he flies through the air. Someone catches him and drops him hard before he smashes against the wall. Lannery does not see who, but assumes it is Tave or Kinaid. She stands, holding her head and willing the heavy throbbing pain from her insides. But sometimes even the force cannot dull such agonies. And in her studies, she has come to trust pain. It is there for a reason, and to mask it can lead to more damage and worse pain later. You lower your defenses, Kinaid says, and at first Lannery thinks she's speaking to Dale, but she is actually addressing her. You should be able to anticipate such clumsy attacks and counter them. Your brother's Alchaka moves are rudimentary at best, and he does not use the force to wield them. I know, she says softly, facing Master Kinaid, but glancing sidelong at Dale. He is standing across the hall from them, and he looks dejected, defeated. Cease, Lamy says, and the fighting ends. The Cathar twins embrace, bloody and smiling. The Wookiee and Twi'lek draw close together and slap each other's shoulders. Lannery looks to Dale, but he has already turned his back on her. Kinaid walks ahead of Lannery, saying nothing. Lannery has been told to follow her, and she suspects that she is being taken to Law Me one last time before they depart in the morning. Tomorrow, she and Dale commence their long, dangerous journey to Anil Kesh. The Temple of Science lies more than a thousand kilometers to the east on Tulse. They will have to cross the Moon Islands to reach Tulse, and once there, they'll be faced with a long hike across a wild land. Lava arcs burst from ancient volcanic tunnels. Mountain slopes are smothered with ash trees, and strange, sometimes deadly creatures stalk the valleys and ravines. Wilder still is Anil Kesh itself, straddling the mysterious and deadly chasm high in the mountains. No Jedi has ever descended to its bottom and survived, and many of those who have tried were driven insane. Dagon Locke, the prisoner of Bogan, is one such man. His fascination with the chasm led to his downfall. All young Padawans are told his story. Lannery was looking forward to time on her own with Dale. 
Yet now she is fearful as well. Of Dale. What he is becoming. And what he might do. She is desperate to not let her parents down. And though she still tries to believe that her brother can be saved and brought to the Force, deep down she knows the truth. His days on Tython are numbered. Wait here, Master Kinade says. She rests a hand on Lannery's shoulder. This is the last time we'll see each other, for now at least. I hope your onward journey is safe, Journeyer. May the Force go with you. Thank you for all your training, Lannery says. Master Kinade looks as though she wants to say more, and Lannery is surprised when she senses doubt exuding from the Master. But then the room beyond where they wait is no longer empty, and Kinade merely smiles. Enter, a voice says, and Lannery recognizes Lawmi once more. The small hexagonal room is lined with images of people Lannery does not know. There are a mix of people, all species and colors, and at points around the walls there are also empty spaces. Lawmi stands in a doorway on the far side of the room. Everyone I have let down, the Temple Master says. All those people, Jedi and not, whom I have failed throughout my long life. I keep the room open for anyone to view, because it's important to know we are not all perfect. Pride is a dangerous indulgence. I'm a Temple Master now, but even that doesn't exclude me from failure. In many regards, my failures are greater, because as a Temple Master, there is so much more expectation put upon me, and responsibility brings more risk. Lannery says nothing. She is being spoken to, and Law Me invites no response. It's down to me, of course, whose images I place here, the old man continues. Some would argue that there are those here who let themselves down, rather than being let down by me. And there are others who might name some images that are missing. He walks slowly around the room. There are spaces, gaps yet to fill. I hope to still see areas of bare wall here when I am older and closer to death. But... He shrugs and touches cold, bare stone. You don't want to see Dale's image here, Vami says. You're learning well, and your experience shines through. But it's your face... I have no wish to see on the walls of this room, Lannery. So heed this warning. Ignore it, suffer the consequences, and I will have let you down. Your brother grows more unstable and dangerous every day. Be wary of him. I will, Master Lamy. The old man sighs. There was a time when people like Dalian... He trails off. What? Lannery asks. Harsher times, Lamy says. No matter. Go safe, Lannery Brock, and may the Force go with you. Lannery watches the Temple Master turn and leave the room of his shame, and when he is gone, she spends some time looking around at the faces staring back at her. She wonders what became of them. Dead? Banished? Fled out into the system? She hopes to never find out. And she swears that neither her face nor her brother's will fill one of those empty spaces. Okay, let's stop there and discuss what's going on. Lannery and Dale are growing further apart as their journey continues. You can see how Dale is starting to pull away from his sister. After his crazy shooting thing in the last chapter, where, you know, he just wanted to start shooting at people and refused to use the Force, the Masters are taking him and teaching him separate from the others. He thinks he's getting special treatment because he's talented in battle, 
But Landry thinks it's to keep him out of the way of her and the other juniors training. But Landry can feel that their bond is slipping further away. And by the end of this segment, it's even worse. This is probably because the Temple Masters made them fight each other. And I think that that might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. That's a situation that as a brother, I would hate to be in. Because I would definitely lose. Because I don't think I would be able to do it. I can't hit my sister. But Dale, on the other hand, has no problem with it. He was really trying to mess his sister up. He is no longer the little brother that she grew up with. He is strong and he was able to fight. And he was doing everything in his power to win. She tries to get the best of him without using the force. But he is just doing some real damage. I mean, he's messing her up really bad. She finally realizes that she can't physically beat him, so she gives in, uses the force, and this changes the outcome drastically. I mean, she starts winning. Of course, she's using the force. But I think that it causes Dale to resent the force even more, as well as his sister. And the more that I listen to the story, the more I think Dale is just not able to use the force. And like I said in earlier episodes, I don't think that they knew about the midichlorian gen, because there was no way for them to test him to see that he was not force sensitive. But that's enough babbling for me. Let's get back to the story. Down in Greenwood Station, Trisona became someone else. Lannery sensed it when they emerged onto the first bustling street of shops, taverns, and other places of pleasure. Not in any force way, because whatever Dan Powell had done to the Twi'lek had rendered him almost immune to Lannery's probings, but in the way he carried himself. His manner, his bearing, his interaction with the world shifted subtly. The Trisana she had met on Calamar, and with whom she had spent days cooped up in her peacemaker, turned into the man Dan Powell had warned her about. He became dangerous. They walked along the street side by side, and Lannery kept the hood of her robe raised. A few people glanced at them, but only casually. Most were too involved in their own lives to be concerned with anyone else. Sellers displayed their wares on metal market wagons, food, drink, and an array of drug slips that promised a temporary escape from the reality of this wretched place. People stood outside drinking establishments, trying to lure passersby inside with promises of the best drink. And all the while, farther toward the center of the dome, the chimneys throbbed and pumped, the machines thumped away, the ground shook, and great trains trundled in or out with raw materials or finished products. The people were the oil that kept the dome working, and Lannery sensed that safety and sanity here rested on a thin skein of smoke. While they walked, she kept her senses open for any sign of Dale. But she wasn't even sure she would recognize him anymore. There, Tree said. He pointed along the street. What? Listing point. He walked forward, shoved a tall man aside, and pressed several buttons on a box mounted on a short, stumpy pole. I was using that, the man said. He might once have been human, but some terrible growth had eaten at his face, and gleaming artificial eyes were set in the remains of eye sockets. How about using this, Tree said. He shifted his jacket aside and displayed the small blaster on his belt. I didn't even know he had that, Lannery thought. You're carrying, the man said. No one's allowed to carry in green... Tree shoved him hard. Arms pinwheeling, the man stumbled back into a group of women wearing dull red work suits, and one of them tripped him. They laughed. Tree turned his back on the fallen man and started working at the listing point. Its small screen showed a map of Greenwood Station, and as Tree tapped at the keys, the map zoomed into a sector, then a small network of streets. A green glow pulsed. Tree swiped the screen clear and nodded at Lannery. The scumhead is listed? Lannery asked. No, but someone who knows someone who knows him is. Right. Easy. Tree started walking. You could have waited to use it, she said, walking alongside the 
Lilac. Just keeping up appearances. I thought you hadn't been here before. I haven't, but I know how to get by here. Trust me. Lannery tried to smile and roll her eyes, but Tree was not even looking at her. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Someone had been run over by a train. Lannery saw the commotion as they approached a wide road that led to a tunnel mouth beneath the dome's lower edge. A woman was screaming in grief, and a small crowd had gathered around a sickening red smudge on the road's rough surface. Most people quickly walked on. The trains must have been huge and heavy, because there wasn't much left. No security? No help? Lannery asked. There's some, if you can afford it, Tree said. But Greenwood Station is like any other city on Knox, run by the corporations. They're the law, and the people work for them. What security does exist is concerned with maintaining production, ensuring the safety of corporation members, most of whom probably live in the central tower, and protecting the city from attacks from other cities. That still goes on? More often than you think. Come on, nothing to see here. They walked on, and Lannery spared one final glance for the grieving woman. Sounds more like Chicago, she said. Oh, it's nowhere near as organized, Tree said. They crossed the wide train track and entered a district closer to the central manufacturing zones. The ground shook with a constant vibration, and the workers' accommodation buildings were much more regimented. People moved through the streets, red-clad workers on their way to or from work, and here and there were groups of armed guards, watching for trouble but apparently expecting none. Their weapons were obviously displayed, and they all looked mean. Lannery touched the weight of her sword and kept her face down. It was doubtful that anyone would identify her as Jedi simply by looking at her, but she could not disconnect from who she was so easily. She feared her eyes, her expression, would betray her. Here, Tree said, nodding at a gray accommodation tower. Not the scumhead, but an associate. Equally unpleasant. Can't wait, Lannery said. Inside the tower, up 14 flights of stairs because the elevator was broken, and when Tree knocked at a door, there was no answer. Lannery kicked it in. The person who'd been pressed, listening to the other side, fell back and tripped over a piece of furniture, spilling drug slips and bottles of a rancid-smelling drink. Lannery force-shoved the door closed and pressed it into its broken frame. Well, Tree said, Lannery, meet Dom, a business contact of mine. Still keeping fine company, I see, Tree Sauna, Dom said from the floor. She's virtually asleep right now, Tree said, going with the flow. Lannery was impressed. You'd hate to see her awake and angry. I know a Jedi when I meet one. Lannery was on the fallen man in an instant, sword drawn and pressed against his throat before he could draw another breath. You know one of these, too? she asked. No, Dom said. He was a brack, but terrible wounds disfigured his face, leaving a tracery of scars behind. His breath stank of chemical staleness. But my father did. One of your sort parted his head from his shoulders twelve years ago. Where? Kaleth. Then he shouldn't have been there, Lannery said. We were protecting our own. That's what I'm doing now. And you know the Jedi. Protecting their own? We're more than happy to take heads. She pressed down on the sword, knowing exactly how much pressure to exert before drawing blood. I'm looking for Max Hagen, Tree said. So? 
Come on, Dom. Find him yourself. You tell us. It'll save us time, Lannery said. Don't be like your father. A flash of fear was replaced by defiance in Dom's eyes. He even managed to smile against the sword's pressure. You won't just slaughter me, he said. Yes, she will. Lannery pushed the thought. She's mean and desperate, and she'll take my head from my shoulders without even breathing heavily. Dom's smile dropped, and he looked nervously back and forth between Tree and Lannery. He smiled, defeated. His anger faded away, and Lannery wondered if he really cared about his dead father at all. Maybe it was just a convenient reason to hate. Let me up, Dom said. No. I need to stand and... No, Lannery said again. You'll get up, feign weakness, lean against that cupboard over there. Then you'll try to distract us and take the blaster that's stuck beneath its upper table. You might even get off one shot. But then I'll kill you, and that'll be an inconvenience to me. So no, you're not getting up. And now my pressure on this sword will continue to increase until you tell us where Max Hagen can be found. Dom's eyes had grown wide as he heard the thoughts plucked from his mind. Lannery smiled. And if you could read my thoughts, you'd know I tell the truth. She leaned down on the sword, and its keen edge pressed against the heavy scar tissue on his throat. Skin split. Blood flowed. District 6, Dom said. Market! He runs a stall! Selling... imported water! Lannery frowned, but could sense no lie in Dom's words. Hiding in plain sight, Tree said. I think he's telling the truth. He is, Lannery said. She started to ease back on the sword. You should kill him, Tree said. His words were light, unburdened by feeling. Kill him? He knows you're a Dedai. Knows we're here. And we're already at a disadvantage. One call from him to anyone in Greenwood Station, and we're compromised. Lannery never looked away from the man beneath her sword. There had been many whose flesh had parted around this blade, but all of them had been fighting back at the time. Shooting down the pilots had been unavoidable, though their deaths pained her. She was not in the habit of killing for killing's sake. There's another way, she said. She sheathed her sword and sat up astride Dom's chest. He did not move. He seemed to sense that this was far from over. We don't have time, Tree said. This won't take long. Lannery calmed herself and gathered the force, and Master Dan Powell's face and voice came to her. There are some who are troubled by what you and I excel at, but they don't understand the potential. Maintain control, keep yourself balanced, and it will serve you well. Lannery felt the power of the Force swirling and flowing within and around her, personified by Ashlaw and Bogan, their attraction and repulsion perfectly balanced, and Lannery suspended weightless, faultless between them. She lifted skin dust from the floor and chose four particles, and they became her servants, concentrating on them, expanding them in her vision, and giving them a touch of the Force. She dropped them into Dom's upturned eyes. He blinked and cried out, but could not move. His eyes watered, and then he squeezed them closed. But by then it was too late. I'll wait outside, Lannery heard Tree say, and he sounded like a child afraid of the dark. But her eyes were closed, and she did not see him leave. Keep calm. Keep quiet, she whispered with a slight force push, and Dom grew motionless beneath her. She delved down, vision growing dark. The sense of touch intense and shocking as the dust particles forged through his eyes and back into his brain. She felt the warm wetness of his insides. She sought. The dust sought. 
And when she found the places she wanted, she paused, gathering strength and molding the force to her will. This was the dangerous part. She felt Bogan looming and darkness closing, and balance drifted. Power grew around her, and she breathed deeply, trying to ward off the ecstatic sensations flooding through her. The pleasure of control. The ecstasy of darkness. The dust transformed into elements of her will, and Dom started to choke as her will was done. Keep calm, Lannery thought, and this time she was speaking to herself. Bogan grew large and heavy, and she felt the irresistible lure of shadow, freedom from constraint, reveling in power. And she fought her way back to balance, the denial of Bogan difficult but ultimately triumphant. A sense of loss was staggering for a time, but it quickly faded. This was her talent, Dan Powell had told her. The alchemy of flesh, however minute that element of flesh might be. Transformation. Transition. And Lannery tried to hold down the sense of pride at her achievement. She had not touched the experiment on her ship since the start of this mission, but she had not lost anything that she had learned. She stood from Dom and went to the door that Tree had left open behind him. It's done, she said, and Tree's voice answered from the corridor beyond. You had the face of Dam Powell. Her darkness. And her control, Lannery said. Of course. Dam Powell must have performed something similar on Tree. But Lannery didn't mind frightening him. Tree afraid might serve her well. Is he... I seared his memory. For a time, he'll remember nothing. Not even his name. Dom writhed on the floor and struggled to stand. For a time? Tree asked. I'm not sure how long... And she was not. It could be mere days, or perhaps much longer, until Dom returned to the damaged person he had been. A dark shadow in his mind where the memory of what had happened was a charred emptiness. Better than murder, if you say so. Tree was standing in the corridor, back against the wall. Now tell me you know where District 6's market is, she said. Tree nodded. There was no easy smile this time. Tree is trying to show Lannery more about who he really is or was as he explains to her that he wants out of the criminal lifestyle. But I guess in this world, it pays to be bad and know some bad people. But he is showing his true value to Lannery as they search for Dale and his companions. But one of the things that puzzles me is the way that Lannery uses the force to wipe the mind of the man named Don. She uses the force that picks up some skin particles off the floor. She chose four of those particles and shoved them using the force through his eyes into his brain and wiped out his men. You don't ever hear of any Jedi of our time being able to do anything like this. This is another separation of how the Jedi of this time differ from the Jedi of our time. I also find myself wondering about how they talk about their moon. They talk about the moons of Tython as if they were controlled by the Force or they are what are in control of the Force. One being dark, another one being light. Because the Jedi of our time know that the Force is in everything. It's what binds the universe together. But these Jedi say things like one is dark and one is light. And they are in constant battle trying to pull one from the balance. It's just weird to me. But I have to remember that the Jedi of this time follow a different code that more resembles the Great Jedi Code. But for them to think that their moons have something to do with the Force is just odd to me. All in all, it was a great chapter. Not the most exciting, but it has a great deal of information to help the story. And in the long run, that's the most important thing. But I think that's all we have for this episode. We will continue next time with more on this adventure in Chapter 11. 
Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.